0: A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain, And together, we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello, 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 hello. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome once more to the purgatory that is Pete and Gary's Military History. Now, this week, Pete, we're going to be talking about the... Uh, August of, Anzac Offensive of the uh, 6th of August onwards was 1915. Sounds exciting, Gary. It's as exciting as watching Fred sleep, which we are currently doing. He is. He's, he's, well, let's hope he's all of him is he, asleep. He, he can still p- practice his particular arts whilst asleep, though, Pete. Particular arts from his ass. Indeed, indeed. Yes. You're looking particularly radiant today, Pete.
1: I feel radiant. I've walked over to your place in sunny White Hart Lane, mm. home of the, your favourite
0: football team, Arsel. Tottenham Hots, but one of those. Yeah. So, what we do today then? Well, it's a series of attacks at Hellis. Uh, sorry, no, it's not. There had been a series <laughs> We've of attacks. have done that. I remember <laughs> <laughs> there'd been a series of attacks at Hellas. they'd all failed. You'd had first, second, third, hundred and fifty-eighth Grithia, uh, which was uh, battle of, to the twenty-eighth of June. Battles of the twelfth, thirteenth of July; they'd all failed to break through to Addis So, what were they going to do then? Well, if you remember rightly, that was the first day objective, and then they were—that was only the first step onwards towards the real objective of Bahir which uh, our good friend uh, Bulent refers to as the, uh, the big, big Bastard. bastard yeah. yeah, With good reason, in yeah. my view. Now, there's nothing much other than the, the sort of a, a, a heroic defence, of course, had been happening at Anzac. Lieutenant General Sir William Birdwood, commanding the Anzac Corps, he'd long been monitoring the situation in the north of Anzac, beyond the outputs of the foothills, and looking towards Souve Le Bay in a sort of longing way meaningful yeah. looks
1: well they couldn't make any progress at uh, at uh, anzac it was just a defensive situation wasn't it they're just holding the line extremely brave uh, 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 and hard-working and uh, defense uh, against occasional mass uh, turkish attacks particularly on the 19th of may but fundamentally they weren't going anywhere there neither side could break either in or out
0: I think I'd seen it described in, in one place as, as a sort of bite out of the, uh, out of the, the peninsula. They, they really did have a small area, didn't it they? It was very small. Not much room uh, no. to manoeuvre at all. At and all. as you've mentioned before, you know, under constant threat all the time from the artillery.
1: So uh, uh, what artillery the Turks had, yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, well, even rifle fire could reach the beaches. So it's, it's a, it was very, very... Um, uh, uh, it's a bad situation. So the idea of a breakout um, is, is attractive. Uh, well, the, mm, uh any sign of the, ter- God, north of Anzac, let's just set the scene. There's a, there's a, a tangle of, of gullies and ridges and dead ends and all sorts of things. It's very rough terrain. We'll put a picture of that up. It's, it's incredibly rough terrain, isn't it?
0: Was there much sign of the Turks there? No, there's not much sign, but there's a, there's a real chance that the are the Turks are relying on the sheer slopes. I mean, we've walked down these things and it's hard enough walking down them. So, uh, you know, they're, they're relying on the, the, the natural slopes to guard their northern flank. So uh,
1: did, did Birdwood just take a chance or did no, he check it out first? No,
0: no, he's it's not just Birdwood, it's his staff as well. They dispatched scouts who find no serious Turkish presence. Now, gradually, this vision of a left hook out of Anzac dawned on them and, and moving into the valleys and then pushing up the ridges to see the seize the key heights of the uh, Seri thereby outflanking and evading the the main Turkish defenses. Now it's very high ground there, Pete. We've walked it a, it a number is. of it's, times. It is. It's a hill,
1: nine eleven or whatever it is. Nine seven one. Nine seven one. That is right. You. How did you remember this? And not the other
0: time. <laughs> but I don't know what it means. I don't know if that's feet, meters, or inches.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I hope it's not inches. Otherwise, it's not it's not been a great performance. <laughs> now, um, uh, something else is going on because Hamilton's also considering a, 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 a simultaneous landing at Suvla Bay. Um, this is basically to solve the problems of lack of space. They just couldn't land. They've got a series of new divisions have been assigned to the Gallipoli campaign. They decided they couldn't break through at Helles. They were still weren't allowed to land in Asia. Uh, but Kitchener had said you're not landing in Asia, the other side of the straits um and so they thought that if they landed at Suvla Bay which is to the north of these hills we're just talking about even further north in other words then then they, they they'd be they 'd have room to breathe if they seized the uh, the high ground round the Suvla Bay plain they'd be able to um create a base and then act and maneuver as a formed body of men um it's not really part of the anzac plan is it though it's it's happening at the same time that, that uh, they've got more they've got enough on their own plate haven't they
0: yeah i mean they they they'd help if possible but but really they had enough on the, their own plate yeah that's right yeah
1: now uh, so um so uh, so how do they set it? Well, they're looking for... They need moonless nights during the build-up. And so the, the twin offensives, Anzac and Suvla, and we'll be doing a podcast on Suvla next time, were, were fixed for the 6th of the night of the 6th sixth, sixth of, uh, uh, of August. So, 6th uh, of August. And uh, who drew up the plan?
0: Well, it's, it's largely drawn up by the Chief of Staff, who's uh, Brigadier General Andrew uh, Skell. An- Anzac Corps Chief of Staff, yeah. Yeah, not 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 Hamilton, Oh, I see what you mean. Sorry, yeah, it's the it's the, it's the plan for the Anzac Corps that, that he Precisely, draws up. Yeah. yeah, spot on. Now, key element was a a, a full scale diversionary attack at uh, seventeen thirty on the sixth of August, which would be made on Lone Pine on the southern half of uh, uh, Four Hundred Plateau. Now, we're not dealing with with that in this. Because that is a diversionary
1: attack and and we will be coming back to it in a, in a full scale podcast probably next year this time next year. Um, but the idea is the fighting on Lone pine and we've been there, it's where the cemetery is in fact, the area of the cemetery is basically the area that, that we're talking about and uh, that it, what it, what is the point what are they trying to do with this diversion?
0: Well they're trying to distract the Turkish attention, aren't they that they're, they're, they're trying to take them away from the left hook which would be launched in a series of four columns marching out from Anzac and along North Beach.
1: Now, so they're, so they're doing this diversion on the right of Anzac as they look towards the Turks. Yeah. But we're going to punch we're out to, on the, to left. the left. Now, they've got four columns and, and these are normally described as this. I'll, I'll go through this because it, it's, it's a little bit complicated and I don't want to... And uh, compl- I, I can't do complicated. You can, Gary. Think of all those... I can compl- tie my own laces. Um, yeah. You're wearing slippers. Oh, yeah, true. <laughs> so we've got the right covering force, and that was to seize the Turkish outposts in the foothills of, uh, 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 that commanded the valleys that led up to the Sarri Bear Ridge. And then when that's done, the right assaulting column would advance through Saisley Bear Dare, uh, Sajli Bait there and Chalik Dare before ascending onto Rhododendron Ridge. I can say Rhododendron um, Ridge, uh, and that would lead up to their objectives on Chunuk Bayer.
0: Again, very, very, very high ground.
1: Very high ground and very steep. Uh, the left covering force would uh, go further along the beach and then up Agil Dare before securing the left flank by overrunning Damak Bear. Which I wish I'd left you to say. Uh, and then the left assaulting column would carry on further along the Aguil there before climbing up the Abdul Rahman spur, which, as usual, we've walked down. If you mm. remember, that's where yep. Jim Maynard fell yeah, on he his fell off, over that. Yep. Leading up to Hill 971, as you so rightly said, Gary. Very, very good work there. And finally there'll be a coordinated series of attacks launched out of Anzac, uh, uh, aimed at the German officer's trench, the neck and the chessboard. So that's all along the left-hand uh, side of the, um, the, the, uh, the, the Anzac uh, bit. Sort of Beachhead, if you like. It's not much more than a beachhead. That's the thing about Anzac, it is a, a, a beachhead. Um what sounds, do you think
0: that all sounds a bit complicated, Pete, to a be bit
1: honest. Complicated, a bit ambitious, perhaps. Very
0: ambitious. Um do you think that's typical Hamilton?
1: Yeah, well, this is what we said about the first the plans for the twenty fifth of April. Um take no account of, of what's of, of reality. Um and now, of course, there's a couple of other complexities. One is the terrain is god awful. Secondly, the physical state of the troops. The lads are often riddled with dysentery or just knackered. Um, and and there's the, the distances to be covered. I mean, we've walked down it, but we've been hot, sweaty and tired and, and we haven't got dysentery.
0: And how many bottles of water do we have? A
1: lot. That's right. Great point. Great point. And they haven't got Bain's disease, as it was so memorably described um, by Bryn Hammond, who, who had Hammond's disease. Pretty yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. Um, so, uh, so, right. um um, any flexibility in the plans would you say, Gary?
0: Well, the timetable was so rigid there'd be no scope for delays or mistakes or the Turks would uh, actually get on top of Serbia and be waiting for them. That was the risk. Now uh, just as a throwaway,
1: and this is classic Hamilton, the, the, uh, his, his, his headquarters uh, have the idea of a major holding operation to be launched by the 8th Corps at Helles. Uh, This is a a full-on attack, and this is to prevent Turkish reserves marching north, it's about 15 miles, to reinforce Anzac. Um, What do you think of that plan?
0: Well, it's either a brilliantly imaginative and well-planned programme or a a complete cock-up that uh, substitutes optimism for realism.
1: Now, the whole plan I think that applies to, I I think this is what it... And and we've got a witness to this in uh, someone who I just, I think... It, he's great, just a great man, and it's Lieutenant Colonel William Malone. He's a New Zealander, um, bad-tempered, miserable, uh, sceptical, um, ne- never particularly keen on something new. Um, he, he wanted to maintain a tight control on everything to do with his battalion, the Wellington Battalion, and he didn't like all the variables that he could spot in this bloody plan of Hamilton's schemes and... and and uh, Birdwoods. Uh, and you're going to read a quote from uh, from William Malone uh, uh, of the Wellington Battalion and uh, give it your full New Zealand accent. You don't know what a New Zealander sounds no. like, do you? <laughs> so
0: I think this is what a New Zealander sounds like. I do not like this job. It will be night work. We have to wait on the Maoris and our mounted rifles clearing some hills and trenches, over or by which we have to tackle the high ridge and none of our troops are trained enough for night work in very rough country. We shall possibly mistake the Maoris for Turks, and the confusion in the dark will be terrible. If we could only start fighting at dawn and have the day before us, we should have it a real good fight. Artillery support and seeing what to do and when to go would be a treat. Still, it's not for me to decide. If, and a big if, the Maoris and mounted rifles do their job properly, then unless we get lost... Ours ought to come off all right. And if two the Otago and Canterbury people do theirs, I wouldn't be surprised if the Wellington Battalion gets up alone, the first, and has to dig in and stick it out.
1: Now, in one way, we can tell this is, uh, this is what he thought before the operation, because, of course, the operation would do for him. Uh, this is from his letters home. Uh, and... Uh, And uh, the book of Malone's correspondence is a fantastic book. I will be putting that up for people to have a look at. Uh, he can see the risks, can't he? Um, what he's talking about there, the Maori's the mounted, that's, that's the right covering force. That's the, the, And he's sceptical as to whether they succeed. He's worried about the Otagas and Canterbury's getting up there. And he, he can see the Wellingtons being, well, well shafted, if you, if you see what I mean. Uh, now, so the 1st Brigade, 1st Australian Division, they're going to launch a div- diversionary attack uh, on uh, Lone Pine. Uh, and... Uh, we're, as I say, this, this is we're going to come back to it. It's a diversion. It's dramatic. It's intense fighting. They do make some small gains, but do you think it really affects the position uh, 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 in Anzac?
0: No, I mean, it, it is what it is. It's a diversion to the main attacks. That's what it is. The real question was simple. Had the fight at Lone Pine distracted sufficient attention from the great left hook from Anzac.
1: Oh dear. Well, that's what we'll be finding out, isn't it? Uh, so darkness falls on the
0: night of the 6th of August and the four columns,
1: that's the uh, the left assaulting, the right assaulting, the left covering and the right covering, begin to file away way out along the beach uh, out of Anzac. Um, the, and, and, and the covering forces do their job. They overwhelm the Turkish posts on the lower slopes the, and the way's clear for the assaulting columns. It's going well, Gary, is it?
0: Yeah, but... A night march, it's difficult at the best of times, Pete. But travelling over unfamiliar ground and fearing attack by the Turks at any moment, it's a true test of nerves. Now, the left assaulting column we'll deal with first. We're not going to do much
1: about these because it's a terrible story. Uh, It's the Australian 4th Brigade under the command of uh, a friend of yours uh, and ours. The second ever podcast that we did was about him. Uh, And that was uh, John Monash. Um, it's not his finest hour. Uh, there's there's something wrong with the 4th Australian Brigade at this time. I, is it is it that they're not up to it as men or is it something more insidious, something that's afflicting them?
0: Well, their business is 25th of April they're, and they're, you know, laughingly, being described as gnarled veterans by this stage. But at Gallipoli, that meant they're also riddled with dysentery. And uh, they're, they're pretty much enfeebled uh, because of that. And as the long march dragged on, they fall further and further behind the optimistic pre- predictions for their progress. Now,
1: you've had Bain's disease and you've been on long marches on that. And, and how do, it is difficult to, to, to move... Quickly to, to to maintain your focus, isn't it? If yeah. you if you're dying to go out the loo every ten, and I'll
0: minutes. I'll take you back to my earlier comment. I had six to eight bottles of water at any time. Yeah, these guys haven't. That's it. So it it they the, now as they're going
1: the, 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 the guides may or may not know the way. But the lads certainly don't. The officers and and, uh, the the people who made up these columns don't really know their way. They're continually stopping. And what happens if you keep stopping the line concertinas and and you drop to an almost standstill pace? Now, they have with them a local Greek guide (laughs) and he takes them through a shortcut. Now, I've I've, I've taken you through this very shortcut. Greek thing. That very shortcut... Very, very shortcut. Now, what's the problem? It's called Taylor's Gap. What's the problem with it?
0: Well, <laughs> it's very, very narrow. It's uh, in a scrub-filled gully. Um, and, and at times, you're reduced to single file. Now, we've been through it with about, I think it was 10 to 15 of us at the time. And we were reduced down to single file. It was.
1: And and uh, were we being harassed by Turkish snipers?
0: Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs>
1: That was Bolent,
0: wasn't it? Bolent was was throwing things at us, as (laughs) I seem to recall. No, and and I remember this is last year, Pete, and and we did have a discussion about how effective sniping would be in that circumstance. And it took... um, it took them about three hours, I think, to get through the six hundred yards of the gap before they finally got into deer at about two o'clock in the morning.
1: And you can imagine it. And, and what that happens is that they keep stopping the column. They send people out to try and uh, to try and get deal with the snipers. Everybody's stopped. Monash is starting to panic. Now the next thing is the Fourth Brigade, uh, Australian Brigade, they're meant to climb up Abdul Rahman to Hill Nine Seven One. Uh, behind them, 29th Brigade, uh, Indian Brigade. Uh, we're going to go up, uh, they're going to slightly, slightly more to the south and go towards Hill Q. Um, the problem is that they get lost. Now, I've got lost there. Uh, you look at all these hills, they all look the same. You, you, you go a few degrees out and you're going up the wrong place. They don't go up Abdul Rahman's but they They thought they were on it, but actually they were they were just on a continuation of Damak Jellet Bear. Uh, Hill 971 was miles away, if you, if you like it. Much of it's a very steep climb. They're, the troops are absolutely exhausted, they're riddled with dysentery, they're short of water, and Monash is panicking. You might remember from that podcast he said, I thought I could lead men. Uh, he begins to doubt himself, uh, because it's just such an awful situation. It's probably the worst time he ever had in, in in a command situation. And he orders a, a halt at, at daylight, which is not long after two o'clock, I suppose, in in, in August. Um, 29th Brigade don't do any better they got lost in Aguildare and they, 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 they finish up the day well short of Hill Q the big question now Gary is uh, too, we've still got that question is the, is the diversion working but also what's happening to the New Zealanders because the, uh, the right assaulting column is the New Zealand Brigade commanded by Brigadier General Francis Johnson,
0: Johnston Johnston um, and which way are they going well, they had not had quite so far to travel, and, and on the map, it looks deceptively simple. The Canterbury Battalion was to push up the Sesley Bait Deir, I'll let you say that one next time, while the Otago, Wellington and Auckland Battalions moved up the Chalick Deir. Now, all four battalions are to rendezvous on Ron- Rhododendron Ridge between one and two o'clock in the morning at which point the final thrust would be made up the ridge and onto Channock Bear ready to attack down Battleship Hill towards the neck. In
1: conjunction with the attacks from the neck to be made by the Australian Light Horse. Uh, that's the plan. Um So how would you describe the terrain? We've been in that terrain. Uh, how, would, was it uh, easy going?
0: No <laughs> no uh, it, it, <laughs> it's uh, it's a living nightmare. You've got gullies that look so innocent looking on a map lovely just yeah, look at winding what down. could go wrong but they're totally confusing in the dark you know what what's the main course which was the best route to climb out and on the right ridge and and they're surrounded by ridges and which is the right one
1: and it's dark you can't see where they're going because and if you've got a low perspective you cannot see where you're
0: going at all you're in a a, a gully you now, the, the delays, they double and they redouble. But at last, the Wellington Battalion managed to get out past the ta- uh, the tabletop and up onto Rhododendron Ridge itself. But this is at about 4.30am. They're badly later. They're already badly behind schedule. But when Johnson made the fatal decision to wait until the whole force was assembled, as the uh, Canterbury Battalion had not yet emerged from uh, Sazley Bay there. What, what What's happened to them?
1: I can tell you, because I'm going to be Lieutenant Colonel Jack Gethin-Hughes, who's commanding the uh, Canterbury Battalion. And he says this. After we'd been advancing some hours, I was astounded to get a message from Stuart that the guides had lost their way. Here was a dilemma. The whole success of the push depending on us doing our job on time. I was up against it and on my own having to decide quickly. To obey orders and, and occupy the hills, I thought would do no good to anyone. I felt also that the tail of my battalion, where the machine guns were, must be far in the rear, as we had been moving practically in single file owing to the narrow ravine for some hours, and it's easy to lose touch in the dark. Therefore, to give the orders to occupy the hills would, I felt sure, leave my men thinly extended over much of the country and easily mopped up by the enemy at daylight. I decided to disobey orders and take the battalion back to the beach and save it intact to fight another day. I knew I would be broken for it and thought of the disgrace to my family in New Zealand, but felt it was the only way to save the men. I gave the order to retire. At the spot where I had halted, the ravine was so narrow that the advance guard, now the rear guard, had to pass me in single file. Now, that in, in one sense, that's one of four battalions in the brigade, isn't it? Uh, and it wouldn't have mattered that much, not really, if, if it wasn't for one thing. Uh, what, what was the Brigadier Johnson doing during this time?
0: Well, he, he sort of sat still with his three battalions, waiting in vain for the uh, Canterbury Battalion to appear. Now, to, to, to be fair to Johnson, he had serious health problems although one of them's uh, alleged to have included alcoholism. Yeah, let's not be
1: too fair to Johnson. Uh, There are serious
0: allegations that he was drunk. Yeah, and this is a criminal neglect of his responsibilities, as clearly laid out in Birdwood's orders. He was not to wait, but must push on regardless of the force, and he had to capture Chanak Bayer before dawn, and then press down through Battleship Hill before 04.30 in the morning, when the 3rd light horse brigade were due to attack across the neck now let's let's get
1: this straight they're already even before this has happened i mean that that's a, i mean they they'd only got up there at 4:30 um, uh, the, the wellingtons had only got up there at 4:30 so they're all and that is not on Power. this is on rhododendron ridge so let that they're, they're already but then they stop they stop and wait for the Canterbury's who are arsing about in the gullies. It's not their fault; they're lost. Um, Hughes, I've just read his quote. You, you can see that for one reason or another, he he just can't find his way through, and he decides to go back and start again, if you like. Um, but then he decides to have breakfast, as well, Johnson. Um, and that 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 feeding your men is important, but. Is time not more important at this time? they finally resumed their advance at six thirty oh six thirty in the morning um, now this this might not have been important if the lone pine diversion this is what we were talking about the, the, the
0: had been successful now, and was
1: it was it successful?
0: Well, it was partly successful in the sense that it succeeded gloriously in sucking in the local reserves of the fifth division, which were located around Kojadir village. Uh, which is behind Gun Ridge.
1: A third ridge, yeah.
0: Yeah. Now, as such, they were not there to meet the New Zealanders on Channock Bear, but the ah. very
1: Ha 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 So that's
0: great. Yeah. Except the very success of the Lone Pine attack calls the Ninth Division, which is commanded by Colonel Hans Kanangeyser, to be dispatched from further south. And when the dangers threatening Channock Bear become clear the Turkish High Command merely ordered them to keep marching on up to the Saribaya Heights.
1: Now, you you know where uh, Cannon Gaitsch's Ninth uh, Division were because you've stayed there. They were by the where the Camotels now, is, yeah. which is where our battlefield tour trips stay. Mm. Um, and so you can see that if they're marching from there to Lone Pine, then when the situation stabilizes there, which it does, when with the other divisions. Uh, the other forces, then they just carry on. Just carry on, yeah. It, it, it's it. This is the problem with Hamilton's plans. They're, they're always too complicated. Um, now, Cannon um, Geiser gets up onto the summit of Chunnock Bear. About what time would you say?
0: Well, it's roughly at 7 o'clock in the morning. All times are, are estimates, Pete, but it is around 7 o'clock. Um, what could he see when well, got he Well, he could see groups of New Zealanders... Um, sort of below, moving forward very slowly to occupy the apex, which is about 500 yards away. Yeah,
1: it's a pointy bit, uh, a bump in the ridge, isn't it? We've been there as well. Uh, It's a fantastic sight. And you're going to be Colonel Hans Kanengeiser, Headquarters, 9th
0: Division now. The English approached slowly, in single file, splendidly equipped and with white bands on their left arms, apparently very tired, and were crossing a hillside to our flank, emerging in continually increasing numbers from the valley below. I immediately sent an order to my infantry. This was the 20-strong artillery covering platoon, instantly to open fire. I received this answer. We can only commence to fire when we receive the order of our battalion commander. This was too much for me altogether. I rang to the spot and threw myself among the troops who were lying in a small trench, What I said I cannot recollect. (laughs) (laughs) Ah! But they began to open fire and almost immediately the English laid down without answering our fire or apparently moving in any other way. They gave me the impression that they were glad to be spared further climbing.
1: Now that's a funny point but I I know where he's talking about. They've climbed all the way through there. They're tired. They're And and they've been on the peninsula as well, the New Zealanders. They've got dysentery amongst their ranks as well. And it's a hell of a hill. We walked down it, as you rightly said. Great point. And we've got plenty of water. And when he says that they gave the impression, I'm sure they were pleased to have a little lie down and rest and take cover. Now, at about 8 o'clock in the morning, uh, Johnson holds a a meeting with his commanders uh, in the brigade. Uh, He's losing touch, and Malone is a cautious voice. Malone's saying, he's saying, an isolated attack in daylight. It's a strong position with with any Turks up there, and he's calling for delay. So he also is breaking the plan, let's be clear. He's advising breaking the plan. There's more delay then as the New Zealanders consolidate the position round the apex instead of pushing on up the ridge. Now, there's a problem uh, because what happens every minute that ticks by?
0: Well, more of Cannon Geyser's men are actually reaching the crucial spot and they're adding their weight to the defending force. Now, at last, Johnson acts. But perversely, after all the problems caused by waiting for the Canterbury Battalion, he sends just one battalion, the Auckland battalion, in to make the, uh, the the assault accompanied by two companies of the 2nd 10th Gurkhas, who were in effect stragglers from the 29th Indian Brigade.
1: Now this is interesting, because actually, I'm not sure you could get it's a, quite a pointy ridge, to use a highly technical term. It's, yeah. a, it's a narrow ridge. There might not have been room for many more. But the whole point was all these delays. By the time the Auckland's attack, it, it, it's a terrible attack.
0: Yeah, by the time they, they actually move forward, there's, a, there's approximately 500 Turks waiting for them on the summit. Now, you're going to be Private Eric Lewis of the Auckland Battalion.
1: We were halted and lined up in three or more rows, bayonets fixed. Here we waited. To one end stood the brigadier, casually swinging his stick and gazing around. Finally he glanced at his wristwatch and gave a blast on his whistle. Go along, colonel. Lead your men and charge. The first line swept up and over, and the Turks, who up to then had been practically silent, let loose a murderous hail. A few few survived that withering blast and ran on over the rough, sloping hillside. The second row went and then followed the remainder. Where we were going, God only knew, we didn't. A trench was the objective, but it was no time to stop and take bearings. There seemed to be no covering fire and the enemy did as he liked. Finally, three of us plunged to earth in a shallow depression which afforded just sufficient cover and none to spare. Each move brought a burst of machine-gun bullets. After a very careful survey of the surrounding few yards, the trench was spotted some 40 yards ahead. 40 feet ahead? Good grief. So not far at all. Uh, A wild spring and a rush, and two reached it and jumped in the parapet parapet being on the wrong side for us. The Turkish bullets hailed among the stones, but willing hands dragged us down. The trench, only about four feet deep, had been empty and was under the complete control of the Turks higher up. So it's all... uh, the, The attack's breaking down, isn't it?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's all too late. They advanced just 100 yards or so before... Taking shelter in the occupied, sorry, in oh, no. the unoccupied Turkish trench at the pinnacle where the attack breaks down, and
1: that's the next bump after the apex. So there's the apex, which is a, a it's in, in, a, a, a a little pointy bit in the ridge, isn't it? Sticky yeah, out
0: bit. a sticky out bit, yeah. Now it's, at this point, Johnson ordered Malone to send his Wellington battalion on another charge up towards Chanuk Bayer. How does that go for him? Well Malone stoutly refused stating that he would not send his men over to commit suicide but would wait for darkness.
1: Now this is interesting because I want you to bear that in mind for later on in this when we talk about the light horse at the neck. Uh, Malone does not obey orders. He fights back and he stands his ground. He does go out he does, and he does take it that night. So it's worth bearing that in mind. Now, then orders arrived from, from Godley, uh, the, uh, um, the Lieutenant General Godley, that all offensive operations were to cease for the time being. Uh, and that for, that's really that, isn't it? The Great Night Attack, uh, how's it gone?
0: Well, it's failed, and uh, I'm just adding up the number of objectives that they'd achieved, and uh, uh, that's none. Yeah,
1: uh, uh, but what about the linked attacks from uh, yeah, r- remember this is there were the attacks remember we said uh, G- uh, german german officers trench at uh, uh, across on dead man's ridge Chess and at uh, chessboard yep. uh, and uh, the neck how, how are those attacks going to go or what because they're meant to be in cooperation with the new zealanders coordinated attacks as the new zealanders pour down from Chinook bay but the new zealanders haven't reached Chinook bay so so
0: what what happens well, the first of the, those attacks was the attack to be launched at midnight on the 6th of August by the 6th Battalion from Steele's Post onto German's officers' trench, which was designed to remove the flanking threat to the further attacks planned on the neck and the chessboard at 04.30 the next morning. Now,
1: you're going to do this, and this is interesting for me. Uh, um, we've, we've Again, we've stood on this ground. We've been, we've been and looked at where the German officers' trench is, and this is Major Henry Gordon Bennett of the 6th Victoria Battalion, Australian Battalion. Uh, and you're, you're going to go through that. We'll, we'll come back to Gordon Bennett halfway through because it, it's a name that has some resonances for people of my generation.
0: Three tunnels, three to four foot wide and seven foot deep, had been dug, leading from our front line for a distance of about 30 yards. These were linked up by another tunnel which was roughly parallel to our front line. A thin crust of earth from six to 12 inches thick was left as a roof to the tunnels, And from the forward tunnel, a number of narrow saps were dug, leading to small posts, each capable of accommodating three or four men. These saps were just wide enough for a man to crawl through. The attack was to be launched by the 6th Battalion from these fire posts at midnight. The roofs were to be removed just after dark, and the men were to charge across the intervening 20 yards to the enemy trench. The attack was to be preceded by three mine explosions at 11 p.m., 11.30 p.m. and 11.40 p.m. These mines, it was hoped, would destroy a portion of the enemy trench with its garrison and completely demoralise the rest of the troops holding that section of trench.
1: Now, until the mines have gone off, the, the, the attacking troops can't really occupy the, these forward tunnels you've just described uh, because, uh, because they might collapse. Uh, uh, so so uh, you're going to go on so once again your Major Henry
0: Gordon Bennett as 11 o'clock approached everyone waited anxiously to see yards of the enemy trench go skywards but instead there was a low muffled rumbling and a slight earth tremor we peered over the parapet expecting to see the flash of the explosion and tons of earth and a few turks hurled into the air but nothing happened the mine was too deep to be effective A minute or so later, we were all crouching low, hoping to dodge the shells the enemy poured on us in retaliation. Shell after shell landed in and around the trench, tearing great rents in the communication tunnels. At 11.30, the next mine was blown, with even less effect. This brought another hurricane of shells on Steele's post. We were beginning to feel depressed. We realised that the enemy, instead of being destroyed or at least demoralised by them, had been made alert and ready. Then the third mine was blown at eleven forty, with no better result. Now I remember what my father would have said in these circumstances,
1: and you might remember your dad saying the same, Gordon Bennett, because <laughs> that's what people used to say. Do you remember that phrase? I do. You, it's, you've looked it up, haven't you? To be yeah, honest. it's
0: not from that Gordon Bennett. It's from a. Uh, 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 well, there's two, father and son, but it's, it's largely the son, James Gordon Bennett, who was the owner of the New York Herald.
1: Well, how did this... Because it means... It means call, it's, a, it's another way of
0: saying call blind me, which in it's itself Gordon, is God blind me. Gordon Bennett, how did he get away with it? And basically, uh, I mean, James Gordon Bennett appeared in the Guinness Book of Records at one stage for uh, the most uh, uh, amazing faux pas and engagement. And uh, he he appeared one New Year at his uh, his beloved's parents' house, got drunk, pissed in the fireplace, and was uh, flogged by his to be brother in law the next morning with a horse whip. And surprisingly, the engagement was called off. Oh! <laughs> but he, he he was also the uh, the man who sent Stanley to uh, to look for Livingston. Oh,
1: so so that's where the expression Gordon Bennett, as in. Oh, fuck's sake. Eddie, get away with that. <laughs> to get away with that. Not, That's not, not that other word. No. Oh. oh, anyway. But it's not this Gordon Bennett. It's not this Gordon Bennett. But every time I see this this bloke's name, it comes back to me. My father's saying that to me after I've done something stupid, which was fairly frequent. Now, um, so um, orders are orders. So the mines haven't worked, but they're going to have to try their best. So the men move into the tunnels... Uh, to the underground front line, they're ready to break through up and out through the crust of thin crust of earth, and then they've got about twenty yards to charge across, and that was going to happen at uh, twenty-four hundred hours at midnight. Uh, um, um, there's delays though, um, and uh, oh, oh, uh, 35 minutes past midnight. <laughs> <laughs> The men were in position, ready to attack. We shouldn't be laughing because this isn't funny. It's terrible. No, but uh, it's, it's... It's my, my inability to work inability out. Your inability
0: to work out time. So is 2400 double zero? Oh, I don't know. No. Anyway, I'm going to be Major Henry Gordon Bennett again of the 6th Victoria Battalion. The signal for the assault was given. A blast of a whistle. Men in the fire posts jumped out and rushed forward. The moment they did, the enemy raped no man's land with machine guns, rifles and bombs. The thin line melted away. Some were hit before they left the the posts. Those who followed fell back wounded, blocking the saps and preventing the rest of the attacking force from leaving the tunnel. The wounded crawled back out of the Inferno into the safe refuge of the tunnel and before many minutes it was realised that the attack had failed.
1: So the dead and the wounded block the tunnels. That's the trouble with that. Uh, now, um, they're, they're coming under fire not just from German officers' trench but also from the machine guns and, and rifles up on the Quinn's Post on their left if you can think of the ground and Mortar Ridge to their front and Johnson's Jolly which is across uh, further ahead and Johnson's Jolly to their right. Uh, they're getting, This is the thing about at Anzac, uh, Everything's covered by fire from each of those posts, just like the Australian defences were. Uh, now, Gordon Bennett sent back reports of the situation to, to Brigade and Divisional Headquarters, and but they don't know, they don't appreciate what's happening. Uh, to them, it's wish fulfilment. They want to take, they have to take German officers' trench or the later attacks will be devastated by flanking fire. Uh, the, you know, the morning attacks are on the neck and uh, the chessboard and Quinn's po- from Quinn's Post. So they send forward a staff officer and I'm going to be Captain Jess, Carl Jess, uh, who's in the headquarters of 2nd Australian Brigade. And, and he's sent forward to see what's happening. And he says this. The scene in the tunnel I shall never forget. Men... Uh, leaning against the walls in the darkness without a word. And what their thoughts must have been, God only knows. But they must have been a hundred times worse than mine. And I knew now uh, how hopeless was the job, with no chance of surprising it. However, it had to be tried. I found Colonel Bennett in the forward firing line, doing his best to reorganise his men, who were more or less stunned. The groans of the wounded still in the recesses and the awful blackness and silence were enough to take the heart out of anyone. Colonel Bennett himself wanted to lead the first line in the new attack as he felt it was his duty. I would not agree. As I pointed out, it was his duty to feed with reinforcements, the daring men who went out first. We eventually got the wounded and dying out, which I shall never forget, as they kn- nearly all had three or four wounds, but seldom made a groan as they were pulled out of the recesses and along the bumpy, dark tunnel floor. So the, the first attack has, has failed, and they're clearing the tunnels, dragging out the wounded. Can you imagine three or four wounds being dragged out through a tunnel? Pretty unceremoniously, no stretcher, just dagged or dragged along the floor.
0: Now, Bennett, he knew that a second attempt's a, a waste of lives, and he tried to get the assault cancelled, but he's not willing to disobey a direct order.
1: And also, he wants to go over leading his men, but he's told not to by Jess, and, yep. and he, he, he doesn't. So what does he so, do? So,
0: so what he does is Bennett watches his men go to their deaths when the new attack was... Finally launched at o three fifty three oh, in the morning. That
1: that's best part of two or three
0: hours. Like three hours later, and uh, Major Henry Gordon Bennett of the Sixth Victoria Battalion says this: The enemy answered it with a hail of lead from the trench twenty yards away. Our men scrambled from their posts only to be shot down. A few survived to find themselves alone on reaching the enemy trench. As they essayed to return, they too were hit. For the second time, the assault had failed, not because the men were unwilling to face the danger, but because it was physically impossible to succeed. Now, in all, they lost 80 killed and
1: some 66 wounded. Uh, that, that's unusual uh, balance of, of killed and wounded. It's, it's a, this, this episode, you never hear about it, do you? I mean, I put it, I did put it in my book because that's where they, I've got this from. Because uh, to me, it was just as dramatic as the, the neck. Not quite as lethal, but just as dramatic. Um, it's got a bad consequence because they had to take this. Why?
0: Well because it's all interlinked as as we've said and It's then, a hamilton yeah. well it's not he's not directly it's a skein and uh bird but, but they are all interlinked assaults and and the the assaults that are planned for oh four thirty the next day on the neck the chess uh, board and dead man's ridge uh from Quinn's post that's all interlinked and those attacks. They're they're already heavily reliant for success on the success of the New Zealand Brigade in capturing Chunuk Bear and then launching a simultaneous attack down through Battleship Hill onto Baby Seven Hundred.
1: W- we know that's not happening because they're, 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 at that time four thirty they're still on the road Rhododendron Ridge, but now they're also not. They're, they're also going to get fire from dead man's uh, from German officers' trench because they're, they're, the the Sixth Victoria Battalion have not taken it, um, so. So what's going to happen? Uh, well, uh, what, what, what are the what are high commands doing about it? Well, at
0: the ANZAC Corps headquarters, Birdwood and Skeen considered the situation reports. Now, they knew the New Zealanders were well behind schedule and still struggling up Rhododendron Ridge. It's a difficult decision, but as Skeen put it... it and you're going not, to be him, are you? I'm going to be Brigadier General Andrew Skeen. It is not the light horse I'm anxious about. I think they will be all right. What I hope is that they will help the New Zealanders. Oh dear, things are—that's that, that, not how that's, things are meant to be working, no, is it? it? That, uh, that's against what's supposed to be happening. Now, Birdwood decides to proceed on the grounds that the frontal assault would pin the Turkish garrison and prevent them from moving reserves to block the New Zealanders. Well,
1: we already know that Cannon Gaits and Ninth Divisions do a Turkish Division doing now. Uh, I've, it's a bit of a sacrifice too far and, and this, this is how the 3rd light horse brigade come to go over the top of the neck and, and the whole legend of the neck uh, is started now what's the basic plan take me through the basic plan for the attack of the, the light horse brigade
0: well they go over in 4 waves 150 men in each with the 8th uh, the light horse having the dubious honour of going over the top 1st uh, there's a, a, a slow preliminary bombardment which blazed into life at o four hundred with shells pouring down onto the Turkish trenches at both the neck and the chessboard.
1: Yeah, I bet it wasn't. Uh, I bet. I, I think you might be. I think. It's not going to be that good, though, is it? I, I, I'm just going by Gallipoli barrages. a shortage of artillery. That the shortage of shells. Uh,
0: what was it? Was it? Was it that good? Well, it was impressive, but but it, it looked more destructive than it actually was. And it and it's been alleged to have ended prematurely at o four twenty three. Now this 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 is a big controversy,
1: and it, it's like who shot Richtofen. It's one of those controversies that I can't really engage with because. To me, I don't think, I think it's something and nothing. There, there's been a lot of work done on this. Uh, what's one big factor about being too precise about times in 1915?
0: Well, we've said it a number of times. You've not only got the, the relative inaccuracy of time pieces in number of 15, but you've got inadequate synchronisation, uh, and that's the most likely cause, and you're in the heat of battle. You know, these, it's, in all probability, it made little difference to the outcome.
1: You think they'd have been slaughtered anyway?
0: I think, in 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 all probability, yes.
1: Now, so uh, the bombardment either does or doesn't stop early. That the 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 the, uh, the 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 light horse do not go over there. Seems to have been a gap. Uh, how long that gap is, I have no idea. Uh, the Turks they're cocking their rifles, they're getting their machine guns up into position. Now, how does Lieutenant Colonel Alexander White, commanding the Eighth Light Horse, how does he react?
0: Well, he insists on leading his men over the top, which we've discussed this before, Pete, a very brave and courageous gesture. But at the same time, he's neglecting his real role in providing tactical leadership. And you've got to ask the question, perhaps the light horse should have attacked immediately, the barrage stopped. But the confusion was too great. The time was too short to react quickly enough. And the first wave leapt over the parapet at 430 in front of them lay the net with 60 BLs to cross to the Turkish trenches. And right. Lieutenant Colonel Alexander White is leading them.
1: And and I think I think he was wrong. I think he was brave and I admire I him brave. enormously in that sense. But when you look at the, the other leadership um, led by uh, Malone, who just said, naff off. <laughs> uh, and, and then, of course, Gordon Bennett. Uh, as It's not his name, Henry Gordon Bennett. Uh, uh, but Major Bennett. Had also wanted to go over the top, but had been persuaded out of it because he needed to, he had other jobs to do. And I think that's the point. But that, that, that does not detract from, from the, the, the courage shown, We've, shown by White, uh, a brave man, a very brave man. Uh, he knew his men were going to their deaths and he decided to go with them. Uh, he didn't have to, but he did. Now, I'm going to be Sergeant Cliff Pinnock of the 8th uh, Light Horse. Uh, They're from Victoria as well. A bad day in Victoria. Uh, And he says this. They were waiting ready for us and simply gave us a solid wall of lead. I was in the first line to advance and we did not get ten yards. Everyone fell like lumps of meat. All your pals that had been with you for months and months, blown and shot out of all recognition. I got mine shortly after after got over the, the bank and it felt like a million ton hammer falling on my shoulder. I was really awfully lucky as the bullet went in just below the shoulder blade ran by my throat and came out just a, a tiny way from my spine low down on the back. It was simply murder. doesn't sound that lucky to me, but I know what he means. He got away with it.
0: And fires pouring in from ahead, from the left, from the right. There's absolutely no question about the presence of machine guns. This yeah, time, yeah, this isn't
1: like the landings where it's controversial. This is these these are machine guns and and, and blazing rifles. Uh, oh, they're down in the dirt, aren't they? Uh, they're, they're, how long do you think it takes for them to get dealt with?
0: Well, it's it's around about thirty seconds, and. Uh, Uh, Then there's a a second wave that follows and was slaughtered two minutes later.
1: Anyone to stop that second wave?
0: No, because he was leading the first wave. Yeah, precisely.
1: Uh, Now, in the chaos, one of the signal flags that's meant to indicate progress had been reported as briefly fluttering in the Turkish front line on the right as you look at it looking forward. Um, I don't think it means anything. Whoever was carrying it was definitely dead. If it existed at all, but this report causes false optimism in higher authorities and uh, Lieutenant colonel Noel brazier now behind the first two waves are the eighth light horse the second two the third and fourth waves will be the tenth light horse, commanded by as I said Lieutenant colonel Noel brazier um, now he brazier rushes back to brigade headquarters to try and get the attack abandoned
0: uh, but, but what but what happens? Well, it's all a bit in vain. The, the, the cursed sighting of a signal flag in the te- Turkish front line, it's had its effect. And, of course, Colonel White... He wasn't there to support Brazier's efforts as he was dead. Nor
1: was a brigadier who was observing from uh, the bit that's just been cleared. So it's uh, Bull Antill, uh, who in the Gallipoli film is, speaks with an English accent, but was a purebred Australian. And that's a kind of childishness that can detract from what is otherwise an excellent, uh, uh, entertaining film. Uh, in, it's not historically accurate, but it's not meant to be, I suppose. It's just a film. Um now, uh, so, so what happens? Uh, they can't stop the third wave, can they? Uh, no,
0: the third wave's ordered over at 04.45, and at this point, everybody knew that it was hopeless.
1: Uh, and then uh, it's really tragic, but some of the fourth wave actually go over at 5.15. The the, the the situation is so confused. They've got no clear orders. Now, this is Sergeant William Sanderson of the 10th Western Australia Light Horse. And he says this. The rhododendron bushes had been cut off with machine gun fire and were all spiky. The Turks were too deep in the trench ahead. There was at least one machine gun on the left, and any number in the various trenches on the chessboard. The men who were going out were absolutely certain that they were going to be killed, and they expected to be killed right away. The thing that struck struck a man most was if he wasn't knocked in the knocked, <laughs> in the first three yards. Well, that's that's something, isn't it?
0: Yeah. Now, meanwhile, the first light horse uh, they're, they're launching uh, an audacious, or <laughs> could be termed suicidal, attack from Pope's Hill. Across Waterfall Gully uh, and directed against the Turkish trenches on Dead Man's Ridge and the chessboard immediately behind it.
1: Now, we've been there, haven't we? It's just been cleared. It's just
0: been cleared. Uh, This is last year, this is 2020.
1: And we could get onto Pope's Hill and look across uh, to Dead Man's Ridge and the chessboard, and that's what this attack has come from. Now, who should read this, do you think?
0: Well, I think uh, it was originally going to be you, but I think it's now me because you've come out of sequence. So I'm going to be Lieutenant Geoffrey Harris of uh, the first New South Wales light horse. We quickly took the first two lines of trenches in our course bombing the Turks out. Our bombers went on and took the third line trenches on a narrow front, and we could just see the Turks getting back along their communication trenches. It was just breaking daylight when we went over the hill to be met by the Crescent Trench full of Turks half out their trench, waiting for us. Machine guns were barking on three sides of us. Seeing that we could get no further, I gave the order, down, and went to earth just as a bullet hit my shoulder. Sergeant Ellis went down on my right, killed instantly, riddled with bullets at close range. Luckily, I fell in a small depression out of sight of the Turks.
1: Now, Harris, Geoffrey Harris, he managed to get back... Uh, safely but all over dead man's ridge and this is uh, this is uh, a, a, an amazing sight the various parties of the first light horse are, are trying to consolidate they've just about got a grip they think on, on dead man's ridge they're trying to consolidate and i'm going to be corporal david lindsay of the, of the of the first new south wales light horse and he says this at present i'm lying on the side of the hill trying to keep under a bit of cover Bombs are terrible. Dead all around. God help and protect me. I'm not scared, but it's hell. Could not hold position. Bombed out of it. I was dodging bombs all the time. Writing this as <laughs> as I rest on the way back. Suppose we'll we'll have another go later on. It's hell right enough. Where I was, lying on the hill, there were four dead chaps beside me and in front of me. No one living. Bombs, I think. Don't think we ran when we retreated. We damn well walked. Most of us, especially the survivors of the charge, are very weak and feel sore and bruised all over the body where sticks, stones hit us as they were chucked up by exploding bombs. Four or five of, the, uh, of our wounded chaps are still lying out under the Turkish trenches. I would volunteer to go and have a cut for them, but it's sheer suicide. I could no more carry a man at present than fly. I'm too sore and feel very weak. Wow. So what happens? Do they hold it? Do they hold it?
0: No, in the end, the uh, first light horse were all forced to retreat with absolutely nothing achieved. Now, all of the attacks had been failures, uh, pursued with with the utmost gallantry and bravery, but as serious operations of war, they were nothing more than unprofessional madness.
1: I I think you're right. You can't advance against mass machine gun fire and, and rifle fire Courage can't get you through it. Just you can't win in those circumstances. Um, now, the the thing that has come to symbolise this is the sacrifice of the eighth and tenth light horse at the neck. Uh, the, I mean, the the Gordon Belling, uh, the, the 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 sixth battalion and 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 the first uh, light horse have been almost forgotten, but the sacrifice of the eighth and tenth light horse at the neck has become. It's just become sort of. Really, the focus of attention, hasn't it? What were the
0: casualties? Well, there were 372 casualties, of which 234 were dead.
1: Now, I mean, that's that is a lot, uh, and it's a terrible situation, isn't it? Um, why do you think it's Why do you think it's got such a, a notoriety? Is it Is it just the film, or is it just the no? Film? There, there's
0: there's populist Australian attempts to link the slaughter there with the British failure to progress as planned at Suvla and now to, and to a, link the two, and they're not linked. That's a
1: bit of a red herring, I would, I would say, on, on balance. Um, what, 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 why did they fail?
0: Well, there were only slender hopes of success on the neck anyway, but they were entirely dependent on the New Zealanders' capture of Chanuk Bahia and had nothing whatever to do with what was going on down at, at, at Suvla. It was all about Chanuk Bahia and what the New Zealanders did.
1: So it was a terrible failure. I often try and point out that when, when we talk about this sacrifice, it is a terrible sacrifice. But, of course, those same 8th and 10th light horse had slaughtered the same number of Turks when they made a similar attack in June over the same ground. And they'd had a great time shooting people down then. Well, I suppose it all depends on your perspective in an attack, whether you're the ones being slaughtered or doing the slaughtering. Um, it's, it's a terrible place. And, and uh, to visit the Neck now is, is quite... Uh, Quite a sombre business, isn't it? Because the trenches have been cleared. It, it's all there. Um, what do you think of the... Over, let, let's talk about the overall plans because we're stopping it. This, we're, we're only doing the offensives first night, if you like, and, and the next day. Um, what do you think of the plans? How would you sum it all up, Gary? So you've heard what I've got to say. I've heard what you've got to say. Let's sum it up.
0: Well, it's it's typically Hamilton. It's almost as if they're, they're stretching for more and more complicated schemes. Um, and, and there was a rush of schemes from end to end on the peninsula. Instead of concentrating on one area, it, it just seems that there were two elements supposedly dependent on each other. But they couldn't support each other because they were physically separate entities. So Just like in the landing, It then. sounds exactly like the landing. It's And again, there, there, there are diversions that uh, turn into major operations in themselves.
1: Well, the, the fighting continues for days at Hellers. There's
0: thousands of 3,000 odd casualties at Hellers. It, it's uh, totally unrealistic if you take it as a whole. It demanded feats of endurance from the assaulting columns climbing up Surrey Bayer, which would have made Hannibal think twice, frankly. What about his elephants? No, his elephants would have loved it. Uh, it demanded that raw troops perform like veterans, and this is a, a, a point you make over and over again. I do. That sickly veterans put their illnesses behind them and, well, and carry on. That's an unfortunate choice of words, Gary. No. Because their illness involves
1: a lot the of It's the them. best place for it,
0: to be frank. Yeah. Um but, but they were really, again, you've described this before, it's not like Bain's disease. You know, it, no, that it, was a slightly upset tummy. Uh, yeah, dysentery is debilitating to
1: an extreme. Yeah, and, and you can't put it behind you and, you. and you can die of thirst if you don't get enough water. So um, it also, at one point, and I'm thinking of Johnson here, uh, really, the New Zealander, it, it demands great leadership from uh, incompetence or inadequacy. Uh, diversions, attacks that are bound to fail in a welter of blood and death and misery. Uh, and what's the worst thing of all, Gary? Well, it, what it, what is the biggest mistake that they make time and time and time again?
0: Well, despite all the evidence to the contrary, it demands that the uh, the Turks fight badly.
1: D- is that likely to happen?
0: Not in the defence, Pete. They're very, very, very good soldiers in the defence.
1: Well, uh, it's a a chastening tale. uh, The Turks do brilliantly in defence. We've not done much about them, and the only quote we've had is from a German. We haven't got Turkish quotes. If you were to do this, if we had the quotes, we'd be all over it because the Turks do do, they fight brilliantly throughout this, don't they? They do. They're they're resourceful, they they react quickly, and they they do brilliantly. Uh, And our lads, they're brave, but we're beaten again, aren't we?
0: We are, and you could argue we were beaten from the start because, as you say, the plan was overcomplicated and there was a lack of leadership from a number of uh, people on the ground.
1: Okay, well, chastening again. Okay, Gary, well, thank you for joining me in this exploration of disaster.
0: Cheers, Pete. I'm now going to kill this bloody fly. (coughs) Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook to learn more about each episode. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you have a couple of options. You can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com.